Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I am Samaya Keynes, economics and trade correspondent for The Economist, and this week I have been in Buenos Aires. And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics in Washington. And this week, I've been in Washington. So I've been in Buenos Aires for the 11th Ministerial Conference of the World Trade Organization. It's, a, it's basically trade camp for ultimate geeks. So the pressing question on your mind is, what happened? Is the WTO still there? And we will get to that, but not in this episode. We promise to deliver you an episode on that big question by early next week. We just need a little bit more time to digest what exactly went on. So today we're going to be doing something fun. I know many of you are going to be looking for anecdotes, especially as the holiday season rolls around. And to help you out, we have gone out and scoured the world for some of the funnest, weirdest trade barriers that you may never have heard of. So use them as icebreakers and also tell your friends to subscribe to Trade Talks. So we challenged our Twitter followers to send us their weirdest trade barrier stories. And I spent the week in Argentina interviewing the best trade journalists in the business for their favorite stories. So here's my first. Here is Sean Donnan, the world trade editor for the Financial Times. I think my favorite and potentially weirdest, because we don't always think about it, trade barrier is the Great Firewall of China. And that is, of course, the great virtual internet wall that keeps uh, not only Western content out of China, but also protects a lot of online businesses in China from outside competition. It is what has allowed companies like Alibaba and Baidu to, uh, to, to grow up and become enormous players in the global economy. So Sean is going big. This is true. If you go visit China, as I did very recently, you will find that the the firewall just prevents you from accessing stuff that you would automatically think that you could access in America or Britain. So, for example, I found I could not download Trade Talks. Very upsetting. WhatsApp was restricted. Facebook. Gmail. Um, So essentially, that was restricting other countries exporting their services into China. This was obviously on Sean's mind as e-commerce turned out to be a pretty big deal at the WTO meeting. More on that next week. Chad, what is your first one? So my first one is also tangentially related to the internet. It comes from Peter Unkfakorn, who on Twitter reminded us of a classic trade barrier in a trade dispute from 1983 involving Japan and France. Before the times of internet streaming video, Netflix, and even before DVDs, in order to watch a movie at home, you had to have something called a video cassette. And in order to play that movie, you would need something called a video cassette recorder, something that you would hook up to your television. So the story goes that France was apparently really mad at Japan about something and itching to retaliate against some Japanese trade barrier. So what they did to signal their anger was they set up a regulation where they required that all French imports of these video cassette recorders, VCRs, had to be inspected and cleared in one single French customs house. And they set up this single French customs house in the city of Poitiers. Poitiers is in the middle of France. It's not near any ports. It's not near any borders. And what happened is the imports of these VCRs from Japan just shrank from 50,000 units a month to fewer than 1,000 units per month. And probably because France didn't have any of these Japanese VCRs, they weren't really able to watch a lot of American movies at home. Yeah, it's all about the VCRs. I'm sure that was the entire reason. Okay, speaking of American movies, my next one comes from Brett Fortnum, who is a reporter at Inside Inside US US Trade. Trade. In 2003, Antigua and Barbuda launched a case against the US, the WTOs, and it, it was over the US's ban on online gambling. 
So that's banning an export of services to the U.S. Yes. So surprisingly, the most interesting part of the case isn't the fact that Antigua won. It's what came after. Because the trade flows between the U.S. and Antigua, a small uh, Caribbean nation, aren't that large, the WTO decided instead of just the normal retaliation to authorize Antigua to suspend $21 million worth of intellectual property concessions annually. That means that the WTO gave license to Antigua to pirate U.S. intellectual property. So films, music. Yep. Uh, and Antigua even set up a website to do it, although it's important to note that they haven't actually done this yet. So that's not the only time that the WTO has authorized retaliation under TRIPS, this intellectual property rights agreement, or what's called cross-retaliation in WTO speak. So here's the dirty little economic secret about why the kind of retaliation that Antigua and Barbuda were authorized to do in this internet gambling dispute won't actually work in practice and why it's really tricky to implement. Suppose Antigua starts pirating stuff as retaliation. Matt Damon movies from Hollywood or free Taylor Swift songs. All right, the Americans get mad, but they deserve it, so that's fine. But in that scenario, who else gets mad? Well, the free Matt Damon movies, that means the Antiguans stop buying movies from France or from Bollywood. Free Taylor Swift means the Antiguans stop buying music from Adele or Sam Smith. And so the British get mad. So this is the opposite of tariff retaliation. If Antigua imposed 100% tariffs on those movies or music, the Antiguans would buy more of that stuff from third countries. But the TRIPS retaliation actually harms the innocent bystanders in third countries. So that's why I don't think this TRIPS retaliation is ever really going to fly at the WTO. But definitely a super potential interesting trade barrier, Brett. So thanks. Next. Okay, so my next one comes from Megan Cassetta who is a reporter for Politico. I always found it really interesting that the environmental goods agreement broke down over bicycles. I thought it was funny that something so technical that was focused largely on wind and gas turbines and water desalination treatment, what it ultimately came down to, you could argue, was solely bicycles and this divide between the EU and China. China really wanted to include bicycles in the agreement to eliminate tariffs on them, whereas the EU and certain countries within the EU, Italy and a couple of others, really did not want those included in the agreement because they wanted to protect their bike manufacturers. And so China was holding out on a few different things, but it was particularly bicycles and that, that divide between the EU and China that um, the talks broke down last year. So this is actually big money. So China exports $3 billion a year in bicycles to the world. About a billion of that is to the United States but only about 100 million of that is to Europe. Okay, next one. Here is Jack Caporal, another Caporal reporter for Inside, Inside US, US Trade. Trade. My favorite trade barrier has to do with the Snuggie. They're all made in China, or mostly made in China, I think. And earlier this year, the Court of International Trade determined in a case that the Snuggie is a blanket and not a pullover. So, Snuggies. I don't actually know if we have them in the UK. It's essentially a blanket, but it has holes in it so you can put your arms through it when you're on the sofa. And essentially what some companies wanted to do is they wanted to change the tariff classification for a Snuggie to become a jumper. Or I think you call it a sweater in American speak. So essentially the tariff on a sweater is almost 15%, whereas a tariff on a blanket is only 8.5%. So they had this big economic interest to say, oh no, that's a that's a sweater, 
and therefore it should have a higher tariff and the you know the domestic companies would get more protection so it's this fight and essentially a snuggie was ruled to be a blanket with holes in it and not a jumper which means it's cheaper to keep warm this winter a true feel-good holiday story for us trade geeks Okay, my next one comes from Twitter and Professor Richard Baldwin of the Graduate Institute in Geneva. And Richard reminds us that also in the 1980s, Japan used to make it very difficult for foreign ski companies, so K2, Head, Rossignol, to be able to sell their skis in Japan. So Japan did this by suggesting that for some reason, Japanese snow was very different from snow in the Rockies or the Alps. And thus, in order to sell your skis in Japan, you would have to go through extra sets of testing to be able to prove that your skis were compatible with Japanese snow. So this is something that we nowadays call a technical barrier to trade. And we have a WTO agreement to prevent these kinds of shenanigans. Okay, what's your next one? Here is Bryce Bashett with Bloomberg BNA. I've always been a big fan of the decades-long WTO dispute regarding the Havana Club trademark. This issue centers on a 2000 dispute followed by the EU against U.S. measures that targeted Cuba for confiscating the Havana rum distillery back in 1959. For years, Cuban exports of rum were effectively banned in the United States, and the Miami-based uh, Bacardi LTD sold its rum under the Havana Club trademark. Though the U.S. ultimately lost the case, Congress never really did anything to uh, change its laws, and Cuban exports of uh, Havana Club rum were pretty much prohibited in the United States. For me, I love this case for two reasons. First of all, it showed the, uh, the power and might of the uh, U.S. beverage industry. And then second, every month there would be a dispute settlement meeting in Geneva where the Cuban delegation would get up and give these impassioned speeches with gusto, calling out the United States for its hypocrisy. And, and generally after those, you'd, you'd have a nice Cuba Libre and call it a night. Trade and booze make good partners. Chad, next one. So my next one is from Gabrielle Bishop at Canada Trade. And on Trade Talks, we usually love Canadians, but we'll see here. So Gabrielle tweeted us about something called Kinder Surprise Eggs. And these things are chocolate candy. And what's cool about them is apparently inside of the chocolate egg is a little toy. Chocolate and a toy. What's not to love about that? Well, apparently the Americans don't love it. The American Food and Drug Administration has had a policy for a long time banning them as a potential choking hazard. And as a Brit, I can confirm that they were a big feature of my childhood and I did not choke. <laughs> so apparently you could eat them <laughs> in the UK and in Canada and Mexico, but they are banned in the United States. And apparently you can face a $2,500 per egg fine for trying to smuggle one of those little chocolate goodies over the border. My last one is from Sofia Baligno, who is an editor at Bridges Weekly. And one trade issue that I've always found interesting is plain packaging for tobacco products, which has become increasingly common among governments that are trying to tackle smoking and its public health effects. There have been a few high-profile examples, but one of the most long-running has been the Australia Plain Packaging Act, which is in place and which requires tobacco products to be sold in labels of you know, one color and shape with uh, very detailed public health warnings. And there have been cases filed in multiple forms on this, including at the WTO, looking at what this means for trade. So, for instance, how countries that are exporters of, say, premium tobacco products can still be competitive in the marketplace when they can't easily distinguish their products, given 
this uh, approach to packaging. So Australia has faced a few cases, I think, under both investment treaties and at the WTO, and the WTO case is still ongoing, but it's looking into relationship between trade and intellectual property. Loyal Trade Talks listeners will remember this dispute from our very first episode. So this investor dispute, this ISDS dispute, was brought by Philip Morris, a tobacco company, and the Australian government won. In that case, the plain packaging laws were ruled not to be an investment barrier. There's a separate case, which is looking into whether these rules were trade barriers, and we are still waiting for the results from an ongoing World Trade Organization dispute. Um, So there the issue is, you know, maybe the trade barrier is okay if it's on the grounds of public health regulation. And I think that is all from me here in Buenos Aires. So listeners, thank you very much. Definitely tweet your favorite trade barriers or things that you think aren't actually trade barriers, but some people say they are. And if we haven't read out your trade barrier, it could be because we are brewing a future Trade Talks episode about it. Please keep them coming. And a final thanks to the ITC. In response to our call for trade barriers, they sent us an entire book of them, which is maybe a fun Christmas gift for anyone out there. That is all from Trade Talks. As always, if you are enjoying this, please tell your friends. Please tell them about these fabulous trade barriers. And if you have any specific feedback or ideas for future episodes, then do get in touch. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bowne. And we are on at trade underscore underscore talks. It's not one, but two underscores at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to cocktail party conversation starters, believe me, just one story about a trade barrier isn't enough. I'm not inviting you to any parties. Sad. Rational.